I'm going to tell a story that happened before the invention of the automobile. So it's been a few years. Some of you are around then. Most of you were not. Uh, but before there were automobiles, a uh, traveling salesman decided that he was going to invest in a good mule. Instead of having to walk, he wanted to get where he was going by riding. And so he bought a mule. And he was so thankful that he had enough um, money to purchase this mule, he decided he was going to develop an attitude of gratitude every time he got on his mule. And so he would uh, get on his mule and he would begin his journey by saying, thank you, God. And that's when he would start his journey. And then whenever he got to his destination, um, he would say, I want to maintain my attitude of gratitude. And so he would say a prayer and he would say his prayer of thankfulness and he would say, amen. And so that mule in his mind um, equated, thank you, God, with starting and amen with ending. So kind of the woe was amen and the go was thank you, God. And so this traveling salesman, he was um, every day, thank you, God, amen. And mule would go, mule would stop. Well, soon he sold enough where he was able to upgrade. And so he upgraded to a horse. And so he sold his mule to another salesman in the community who wanted to go from walking to mule. And so he sold him the mule and gave him the instructions like, look, it didn't really happen on purpose, but this is how this mule will communicate to start and stop is you need to say, thank you, God. And the mule will start, commence on his journey. You need to say, amen, and the mule will stop. And so this guy, so happy to be on this mule, he's just enjoying the sunshine. He's going along, he's daydreaming. He takes his hands off the steering wheel, wait, <laughs> off the whatever steering mechanism <laughs> of the mule. And next thing he knows, he's kind of dozed off and he wakes up and he's headed straight for the edge of a cliff. This guy doesn't know what to do. He panics. He can't remember anything the guy told him. He's just yelling, whoa, and stop, and doesn't know what to do. And he realizes like his life is on the line. So he just prays a prayer of desperation to God. God, help this mule to stop. I can't remember anything right now. I just know you're in control. And you can make this mule stop. Amen. Mule comes to a stop right on the edge of the cliff. And the guy just this abrupt stop on the edge of the cliff. He looks over the edge of the cliff and realizes his life has been saved. And he just blurts out, thank you, God. <laughs> Paul is going to talk to us about an attitude of gratitude. We're calling it gracious gratitude. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, this instruction from Paul seems like a big ask. In everything in life, give thanks. In everything, in all circumstances, give thanks. He doesn't qualify it with in almost every situation. He doesn't qualify it in most situations. He doesn't qualify it when things are going great, when things are working in your favor. He says, in everything, in all circumstances, give thanks. And we have to like stop and ask, like, is this even possible? If it is, how is it possible? And like the questions that I have that I bring to the text in this situation is like, to whom is Paul writing this, right? Like, is this someone that has it made? They're not facing a lot. 
of, of difficulties? Like, who's Paul writing this letter? Who's it addressed to? And what's going on in their life? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it lets us know what was going on. We learn in Acts 17 uh, what was going on at the church of Thessalonica. Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. The church of Thessalonica was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. He establishes this church in Philippi. If you were here at City Church last year, we went through the book of Philippians together. Uh, Paul establishes that church in Philippi. He leaves the Philippian church in the care of Timothy and Luke. Um, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wrote the gospel of Luke. And so he leaves the, the church of Philippi in their care. And his next stop on his journey is the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is the proud capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. It's about 100,000 citizens, which is a huge city in Paul's day and age. It was a flourishing center of trade and philosophy. It had a very sizable Jewish population, even though it was a Roman province. And Paul just kind of followed his standard protocol when he went into the city of Thessalonica. He preached in the synagogue. He did it, the scriptures say, for three um, Sabbath days and several. He preached the gospel that Jesus was died, that Jesus was raised from the dead, preaches the gospel in the synagogue for three straight weeks. And several Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, they believe. They follow Jesus. However, just like in a lot of other Paul situations, um, his opponents, they stir up this mob of rioters, right? Um, they, they, they even drag Paul's host. If you read the book of Acts, uh, the chapter Acts uh, 17, it always kind of cracks me up that there's this guy that, you know, is trying to be gracious to Paul and be hospitable. And he's like, yeah, I, I volunteer for Paul to stay in my house. Now, the guy's name was Jason, if you read the text. And then the text in Acts 17 said they like basically dragged Jason out about ready to, to beat the guy to death just for being hospitable. And so um, Jason and his house get dragged before uh, the, the Roman officials and they charge Paul with treason, treason against Caesar. And so Paul and his missionary team, they're forced to flee. They flee the city. Uh, they travel to a nearby city called Berea. And in Berea, uh, this same agitated group of rioters from Thessalonica, they show up. And so not only are they content to get rid of Paul, they're like, we're taking it to the next level. And so they got on their mules or whatever they were riding. Off they went to Berea. And they stir up the crowds there like they're really going after Paul. And so in Berea, they harass Paul. Uh, Paul is again forced to escape again. And so, needless to say, the Thessalonian church was birthed amidst some enormous adversity. Um, this church is unwanted. They are harassed. They're mistreated. They're under a constant threat of these opponents of Paul, these, these rioters. And so, from Paul's own letter in Thessalonians, if you read through it, we learn that the people in this church, uh, they've had some of their, their, their flock that have died. And they have questions. They have questions about uh, what happens when people die. They have questions about those who are left behind. They have skepticism. They have questions of doubt. They have questions about death. Their faith is wavering. They're doubting whether Jesus is going to come back, the Lord's return. So Paul addresses these things. He writes this letter to answer their questions and, more importantly, to encourage them. To encourage them to remain steady, to remain faithful in their calling. Um, Paul opens his letter uh, with thanksgiving. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 1, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, 
remembering before our God and Father your work, faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, a lot of positive things here, words of encouragement and thankfulness for these, these believers in the city of Thessalonica. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction. Right? There's that idea. They're afflicted. They're persecuted. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And so, again, these words of thanksgiving for these believers in the city of Thessalonica. And then for three chapters, Paul encourages them. He exhorts them to live out their gospel hope. Chapter 5, this section we read, verse 18, uh, verses 12 through 22, they focus, these verses focus on gospel-centered community conduct. What does it mean to live as a gospel-centered people? Amid all the things that are going on in their lives. What does it mean to live with gospel hope amid all those things? And then these exhortations that Paul gives them. And right in the middle of these instructions, Paul urges the Thessalonians to be people of gratitude. People of gratitude. In everything, give thanks. And the phrase that we're using is gracious gratitude. And that phrase is important. Gracious gratitude. It is a phrase that was utilized by a guy named uh, Jonathan Edwards. Um, he wrote about it in his book, Re The Religious Affections. Um, Edwards was born uh, October 5th, 1703 um, in, in East Windsor, Connecticut. He's often regarded as the greatest theologian or philosopher um, of, the, of the Puritan day and age. He was a forerunner in this great spiritual revival that swept through the colonies called the Great Awakening. Uh, Edwards was one of the key players in that and kind of laid the foundation of that movement. Uh, happened in the 1730s and 40s. Um, he was maybe best known for this sermon that he preached everywhere called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, where people would come to faith in Christ. They say that Edwards was just kind of a monotone guy that would just like read his manuscript and that the Holy Spirit fell in these situations and people would literally like cling on to the pillars of the church because the, the move of God was so powerful during that time. And so Jonathan Edwards um, wrote this book called The Religious Affections. And in The Religious Affections, Edwards distinguishes between what is called natural gratitude and gracious gratitude. Let me explain those two things as Edwards defined them. Um, natural gratitude is kind of this intuitive appreciation of God's good gifts. The things that make us happy in life. The things that, um, like family and a job and a home. Uh, things like freedom. Uh, things like a warm bed to sleep in at night. Right? These are instinctive things that we are thankful for. Uh, things like the Christmas season. It seems to be surrounded with a lot of happiness. Things like Thanksgiving week and all that comes with Thanksgiving week, including turkey and um, dressing. We're here in the South, so we call it dressing. Does anyone here call it stuffing? These are all the people that are not from the South. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> both. Some, both it can be. I still don't know the difference. I know it's like something to do with what's pulling it out of the turkey, putting it in the turkey, something. Um, but... Um, things like stuffing and dressing and pumpkin pie. Anybody a fan of the pumpkin pie? Again, mixed reviews on the pumpkin pie. Yeah, but these are things that you're instinctively um, gracious for, right? The, being able to, 
to watch the football, right? Being able to eat a good bowl of cereal. We learned this morning that one of our elders gets cranky if he doesn't have his bowl of cereal in the morning. And there's no milk and stuff's flying around the kitchen, doors being slammed over cereal. But we're, we're gracious. We're thankful for bowls of cereal, especially at midnight. Things that we are naturally, instinctively thankful for, right? A cold drink on a hot day. These are things that just, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to be instinctively gracious for these things. Thankful. That is natural gratitude. Natural gratitude is instinctive. It does not require God's redemptive grace in your life to participate in. But gracious gratitude originates from a different place. It's a different idea. It's a scriptural idea. And instead of beginning with what God gives us, like we do with natural gratitude, instead of beginning with God's gifts, God's good gifts, gracious gratitude starts with who God is. It is the difference in what God gives, which is enjoyed by all of creation, and the difference in who God is, and focusing on who God is. Gracious gratitude focuses on the giver of the gifts over the gifts themselves. And this is so important. Gracious gratitude focuses on God's goodness, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His patience, His power. Gracious gratitude is a response to the giver of the gifts. Now, we enjoy the gifts. We are thankful for the gifts. But you know the goal of the gifts is to get our eyes where? On the giver. The goal of the gifts is for us to focus not on the gifts, but to focus on the gracious and good giver of the gifts. Gracious gratitude is a response to who God is. It extends beyond simple enjoyments and pleasures of life Gracious gratitude, as Edwards taught it, is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not restricted to favorable circumstances. It's not restricted to when things are going well in my life. It is an act of grace in our lives. It is developed through the continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at how Paul explains gracious gratitude to us in this verse. Paul says, first, gracious gratitude is... Inclusive. It is all-inclusive. Paul says it is in everything. Some translations say in every circumstance, in all circumstances. It is inclusive. No matter what life brings our way, we are instructed to give thanks. Now, we experience the same emotions, the same questions as this church that Paul's writing this letter to. We go through these same things, these feelings of isolation and loneliness and inequity and uncertainty and despair and doubt. These are all common expressions that we experience, right? We need encouragement just like the Thessalonians did. We need answers just like the Thessalonians did. We doubt. We have concerns and questions and death impacts us just like it did the Thessalonian Christians. I mean, think about the harsh circumstances that Paul himself faced that wrote these words, jailed and beatings and shipwrecks, constant false accusations, having to flee for his life, betrayed by ministry partners. Paul was stoned at times. He was ridiculed, constant 
life threats. There was a group of people one time, a group of assassins, that made a promise, a commitment to each other. They said, we're not going to eat until Paul dies. What? Right? We're not going to eat any food until this guy's dead. That's a threat, my friend. About day seven, when you're hungry, guess what? You're going to go after somebody, right? That's the kind of stuff that Paul faced, these harsh circumstances of life. And he's writing these words. This guy who is constantly being chased out of town. There's even the one story where Paul survives this massive shipwreck and they make it to the shore and Paul's going to help build a fire. So he picks up the firewood to bring it over and guess what? Venomous snake out of the firewood. Boom! Bites Paul on the arm. Like, this guy's going through some stuff in life. And he writes these words, and everything give thanks. Paul even writes a handful of his letters from, from the dungeon, from prison. And it is in this epistle to the Thessalonians that he reminds us that gracious gratitude is being thankful in all circumstances for everything. We know it's easier to be thankful in the good times. It's easier to be thankful when everyone is healthy, there's money in the bank, the bills are paid, the kids are happy and doing well in school. There's job security. Like that's natural gratitude. But what about when life just punches you in the mouth and knocks you down? What about when the cancer returns and the relationship ends? What about when the job is lost and the money runs out and the car breaks down again? What about when the loved one dies prematurely? What about when life just simply reminds you of the brokenness? In everything, give thanks. There was these two men that were hunting in the woods. And suddenly they stumbled upon a mother bear and her cub got a little too close. And so the mother bear starts coming after them. Two men in the woods, mother bear chasing. Now this is a different story than the two men in, in the woods and the mother bears chasing them and one dude bends down and starts, pulls out a pair of running shoes out of his backpack and starts putting those on and the guy's like, why are you putting on running shoes? You can't outrun a bear. He's like, I don't have to outrun a bear. I just got to outrun you. <laughs> different story. That's a good joke though. You can use that. These two guys are being chased by the bear, and they realize they just can't outrun this guy. They can't outrun the bear. They're going to be caught by the bear. So the one guy's like, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know, pray. He's like, pray? I've never prayed. never prayed a prayer in my life. He's like, well, you grew up in a Christian family. Like, you should know some prayers. He's like, I don't know. I, I know one prayer. He's like, well, whatever prayer you know, you better pray it right now because we are about to be attacked and eaten by a bear. And so the, one, the guy just blurts out the one prayer that he knows. And he learned this prayer sitting at the dinner table with his parents. And the prayer was, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> like, how do we express gracious gratitude in all circumstances, in everything, when we are being chased and eaten by the bear of life? How do we express gratitude, gracious gratitude? In all things. How is it inclusive? Well, Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't just give us a command. That's not gospel. Paul lays the command. He lays a foundation under the command. Gracious gratitude is also intentional, right? 
In everything, give thanks, for it is the will of God. The only way to be gracious, to express gratitude when life has punched you in the mouth is when we realize it is the will of God. It is about perspective. Gracious gratitude happens in all circumstances when we realize everything in life flows from the sovereign will of Almighty God. Paul says, give thanks. This is a command. It's in the imperative tense. If you remember growing up and taking English classes, you remember imperative was the command tense. This is an imperative. Give thanks in all circumstances. But he doesn't stop. He tells us how. He gives us the gospel perspective. Because it is the will of God for you. Gracious gratitude happens when we recognize God is in sovereign control. When we trust that God has a divine intention for our life, it is a matter of perspective. Let me explain this idea using this natural and gracious gratitude construct that we've been talking about. As we live life, natural gratitude is that when we encounter circum- certain circumstances, that make, they make us happy. Other circumstances make us unhappy or resentful, or bitter, or angry. When you live life that way, life is kind of more or less a game of chance. Whatever happens in my life causes me to react a certain way. I'm having a good day when good things happen. I have a bad day when bad things happen. The situations of life that work in my favor dictate a positive response. If everything is smooth sailing, I'm happy and content. But when something capsizes my boat, right, I complain and gripe. And based on the severity of the life storm, I may even have a come apart or fall into a depression or get mad at life or other people or God. Again, good things happen, good day. Bad things happen, bad day. But when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, When the Holy Spirit is working in our life, we begin to recognize and trust that God is sovereign over all of life. And that life is not this game of chance. That life is being worked out according to God's divine plan. That God's sovereign will dictates my attitude, not the circumstances of life. When we believe that everything happens in life is for God's glory and for my benefit, when we begin to realize that even our most difficult moments are intentional and they're being used by God for our good, then we can begin to express gracious gratitude even during the trials of life. You may or may not have heard the name Corey Ten Boone. She wrote The Hiding Place. Um, Corrie ten Boom was part of a Dutch Christian family who's, who helped many uh, Jews escape the Nazis during the Holocaust. And Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy were caught doing this. And they were sent to Ravensbrück, which was one of the worst German um, prison camps where they um, lived during that time. And when they were sent to Ravensbrück, they were sent to a particular set of barracks where they were supposed to live. And they quickly realized that, obviously, it's a German prison camp, so the barracks were overcrowded and they were flea-infested. 
They're reading their devotions after being moved into these, these barracks, and their text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's like, rejoice always, and pray constantly, and give thanks for everything. And here they are in these flea-infested barracks. And so, Corrie ten Boom writes this um, account. She says that um, when this happened, that her sister Betsy said to her, Corey, um, thank the Lord for every detail of our new living quarters. And Corey responded, I can't thank him for the fleas. I can't thank him for the fleas. And Betsy said, you must. Soon they discovered that they could hold Bible studies and prayer meetings in the barracks without any guard interference. And they could do that for only one reason. And several months went by before they learned why. The guards refused to enter the barracks where they were having Bible studies, leading people to faith in Christ, having prayer meetings. The guards refused to enter the barracks because... They did not want to become infested by the fleas. Gracious gratitude does not mean that trials are not real. It does not mean that they are not unpleasant or difficult to go through. Life guarantees hurt. The brokenness of the world that we live in guarantees fleas. Hurt, pain, suffering, difficulties. But for the follower of Jesus, we can express gratitude regardless of our circumstances because we know our Father who loves us so deeply that He gave His only Son for us allows even the trials and difficulties of life to redeem us and shape us for His glory and for our good doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the difficulty. It changes our perspective on it. In everything, give thanks. Ah, that seems like a hard command. But it's not just, right, buckle up, make it happen. Give thanks because, because God's working a plan, a sovereign plan that is for his glory and for your good. Gracious gratitude. And then we have to mention this, this, three important words in this verse. Gracious gratitude is initiated through Jesus. In everything, give thanks. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus. These three words provide the motivation behind gracious gratitude. That Jesus is the source of our gratitude. Jesus is the source of our gratitude. Because of Jesus, we can know Whatever life brings our way, it is the will of God. Paul uses the messianic title here for Jesus. Christ Jesus. The idea of Christ is that he's the Messiah. Jesus is that he's one of you. He reminds us of both his humanity and his deity. That as a human, Jesus faced the same trials and hurts that you go through. He endured that. And he displayed in the brokenness what it means to trust the Father in those difficult circumstances. He modeled it. I mean, how many times do we go back to the story in the garden where Jesus is 
facing pending crucifixion. He's having this conversation with the Father and he's pouring his soul out, right? The Bible says like there's blood drops coming out because he's praying so intensely. And like we don't even really know what that means. We just know it's like a level of intensity and passion that's beyond probably what most of us will experience. And there he is in the garden. He's praying to God like, take this from me, but it's not my will, Jesus says. Not my will be done, but your will be done. He models for us what it means that in everything we give thanks for it is the will of God. As a human, Jesus faced what it means to experience the brokenness and to be able to trust the Father completely in those circumstances. As God, as God, Jesus provides the same power we need to live with this gracious gratitude. That He does not just leave us alone to figure this out. In everything, give thanks. It is the will of God. And this only happens in Christ Jesus. This is what separates natural gratitude from gracious gratitude. That it only happens in Christ. In Christ. The same God who loved me enough to send Jesus loves me enough to be engaged in my everyday life to protect me, to watch over me, to remain in control of what's going on in my life. Jesus is the evidence. He is the proof. He inspires my thankfulness. And so we express gracious gratitude because we have experienced, we have experienced His redemptive grace. And because we have experienced His grace, the most dire circumstances of life, we are able to, to say, in everything, in everything, I will give thanks. Does it make this any less difficult? Right? I've been hit in the mouth and knocked down. I'm not sure what's going to happen. It doesn't take away any of those things. It just puts them in perspective. Gracious gratitude. The Puritan commentator Matthew Henry, whose set of commentaries is perhaps the most uh, popular in the world through history, <clears throat> he was robbed. And in Matthew Henry's writings, he writes this. God, I was robbed, so let me be thankful. Let me be thankful, first, because I've never been robbed before. Let me be thankful for being robbed, because second, although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Let me be thankful for being robbed, because third... Even though I was robbed, although they took everything I had, it was not that much. And fourth, let me be thankful for being robbed. This is so important. Because it was I who was robbed and not I who was robbing. Perspective. I read that this week, by the way, and it was very relevant in my life. Some of you know, like a couple weeks ago, Ash's purse was stolen. I wanted this to be my attitude. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> or at least a window of time. But after that window of time, to be able to breathe and to kind of have this same perspective to realize, right? Thank you, God, that I was the one who was robbed and not the one who was robbing. 
You know why? Because it is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. To receive God's grace and to learn to be gracious people. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Gracious gratitude is inclusive in everything. It is intentional. This is the will of God for you. It is initiated by Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus alone. Jonathan Edwards, who coined this phrase, gracious gratitude, died from smallpox, a tragedy that provided his wife, Sarah, an opportunity to display gracious gratitude. Here's what Sarah Edwards wrote to their daughter at the death of Jonathan Edwards, her husband and their daughter's father. What shall I say, Sarah writes, a holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. He has made me adore his goodness and that we had Jonathan so long. My God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us that we are all given to God. And there I am, and there I love to be. Gracious gratitude. I want to challenge you during this season, maybe over the next two weeks as we're doing this series together. Here's something very practical that you can do. What if you were to take a small challenge in your life that every single day you're going to write down one, two, three, whatever your number is, something that you are gracious for, something that you are thankful for. I usually try to do this in the month of November. That Every day in the month of November, I'll write every day two things that I am thankful for. You know what it forces me to do? Because, again, my kind of natural bent and personality of life is I'm very methodical, I'm very logical, I'm very rhythm, here's what I do and here's what I don't do and don't get me out of my rhythm or I get cranky. Um, That's my natural personality in life. And so for me, it forces me to step outside of my rhythm and step outside of kind of my logical, this way of thinking, and to think outside the box creatively, because if you're doing it for 30 days and twice a day, 60 things I got to come up with. And so after family and kids and house, right, you're like stretched. But what it forces you to do is to begin to think, how has God been gracious in my life? And it forces me to see during my day the small things, the small things that I may not think about if I'm not being intentional with my gratitude. Did you take that challenge with me? You, got, you, just got, I mean, you just got two weeks at this point. Ten days, whatever it is for you, between now and next Sunday. Set a reminder in your phone. Do whatever it takes. Have your, guys, have your wife remind you, because you're not going to remember it once you leave those double doors, I know. Do something. Do something. I'm going to be intentional with my gratitude this week, next week. Maybe, just maybe, like it's done for me, maybe it will become a life pattern for you. Maybe it will become a holy habit. 
began to pause and to think, what a gracious and good God that I serve. Not, look at all God's amazing gifts that he's given me. I love the gifts. But to pause and think, all these gifts point me somewhere. They point me to a good and gracious God. The Father who is the giver of all things good. Gracious gratitude.